Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Ready to Pop, the ultimate pregnancy podcast series with me, author and journalist Caroline Foran. So if you tuned into the quick intro episode I did, you'll have a very clear idea of what to expect from the series and from each episode. But just to recap briefly, I myself am currently pregnant. I'm at the time of this recording very much uh, almost through my third trimester, almost ready to pop. And this eight-part series takes you from getting pregnant right through to preparing for labour and beyond. So for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Maeve Horan, who is with the Marion Fertility Clinic to talk about the very first steps of your pregnancy journey. And that, of course, is getting pregnant. So what has to happen to get pregnant? What are the common issues that make pregnancy difficult to achieve? What are the treatment options if you do have difficulties? How can we increase our chances of conception naturally? And what do we need to be mindful of in our lifestyle? This episode is proudly sponsored by Mars Pharmacy, the pharmacy that I go to myself not just for all of my health and beauty needs, but for expert advice that I can really trust. Mars Pharmacy offers private and secure video calls with their fertility experts for those hoping to conceive. And for an appointment, just simply email help at marspharmacy.ie. It's M-E-A-G-H-E-R-S pharmacy.ie. And their pharmacists are always available for private consultations about your medicines, administering injections, as well as supplements that might help as you begin your journey towards parenthood. For more information on Mars Pharmacy as well as your nearest branch, go to marspharmacy.ie or follow them on Instagram at marspharmacy. Also be sure to follow me on Instagram at Caroline Foran, where I will be giving one lucky listener a fabulous Mars Pharmacy hamper packed full of goodies to celebrate this first episode. Now, let's get down to business with Dr. Maeve Horan. Dr. Maeve Horan, thank you so much for joining me on Ready to Pop. I'm so delighted to have you for my very first episode as part of this eight-part series. And originally, I wanted to do a, fo- a series that focused primarily on, on pregnancy. Um, but how could I do that without really focusing on getting pregnant for in the first place? And for so many women, you know, it's it's not a straight journey of, of just having sex and becoming pregnant. There's lots of different routes to, towards conception. So I really wanted to have a chat with someone such as yourself to talk about you know, what to expect when trying to get pregnant, what's normal, what to be mindful of. Um, so thank you so much for, for giving me your time and your expertise. No, it's great. Um, I guess it's something very close to my heart since I've gone into fertility. I've been doing obstetrics and gynecology for almost seven years now and I've slightly segued into kind of specializing in fertility in the past year. And I think that's opened my eyes to, as you say, just simple things you can do before you go down the line of treatment or that kind of journey at all so absolutely and you're with the Marion Fertility Clinic is that right yeah I've been there for a year now really enjoying it um yeah and exactly that's how I kind of um uh, piqued my interest in this area yeah and what what would your typical week be like How, how does your job work I mean would you be having consultations back to back or would you be actually doing treatments with people so yeah it's different every day which again is a huge interesting part of the job so basically it has changed a little bit since COVID but actually some of the changes are like I think everyone's discovering for the better so now we are doing quite a few Zoom consultations which I think makes it more accessible for 
um, either women on their own or couples to approach us together because, you know, people were often working apart. So that that's easier. And people coming who aren't in Dublin, I mean, we're based in Marion Square. So that's not often the easiest place to get parking and all those yeah. very simple practicalities. So we're doing Zoom. So I do uh, one to two days a week of consultations with couples. And then other days during the week, we're doing different parts of the treatment cycle. So egg collections, for women who are going through IVF, uh, sometimes surgeries for women who are, um, again, um, kind of pre-treatment or with underlying conditions um, and um, scanning and, and different things like that other days. Okay, wow. So this is, every day is different for you. But before we get on to talking about uh, the problems that can arise or, or where fertility might be become an issue, um, I'd love to just give listeners an overview of, of getting pregnant in general, because I think we spend you know, as women so long, so so much of our lives trying not to get pregnant that when it actually comes to it, for me anyway, I was like, I actually don't know a whole lot about what has to happen in my body and all the different things involved. So we might just start with, I mean, literally the birds and bees, if that's okay. Absolutely. No. And that's such a huge part of it. And a a huge part of couples trying to uh, kind of align things so that they're in a good situation. So yeah. And as you say, loads of us try for so long not to get pregnant. So we're on different types of contraceptives. We haven't had a, I guess, a natural cycle or a natural period for um, years. We've never observed um, kind of signs of ovulation or looked out for them even. So so first of all, your own natural cycle. So we, I kind of say most cycles that vary between 24 to 35 days. And obviously there is, you know, some of these are a little bit arbitrary, are usually ovulatory cycles. So cycles that are really irregular, so more than six weeks apart or only having a few cycles a year, is something to look out for um, down the line in terms of fertility. Because what we're looking for is that you're releasing an egg kind of monthly and that that's happening reasonably regularly. So that's the first thing. If you have an underlying medical condition that you've been attending a doctor for as well or you're on medications for, it's always good to check in before you stop your contraception see whether the medications that you're on are appropriate to conceive, for, you know, um, and that it's safe to stop them. So women who are maybe on anti-epileptics or diabetics to make sure that they're kind of optimizing their own medical health before they... Before they go trying everything, you know, to, yeah, to start off with the knowledge that you want to try. So let's start from the best position possible. Exactly. If we take... Um, for example, a, a woman and a, a, a male partner who have no fertility issues. And can, can we just talk through what exactly happens in the getting pregnant process? I know they obviously have sex, but you, she, ovulation and all those different, I mean, I never knew anything about luteal phases and basal body temperature, but what's happening behind the scenes when, when conception happens? Yeah, so we, there's two phases of a menstrual cycle. So day zero, is, day one is the first day that you bleed. So that's how we count our, you know, the length of a cycle. So your day one is the first day that your period starts. And then kind of cycles vary. And like what we use in textbooks would probably be your kind of 28 to 30 day cycle. And um, so half, like, so the luteal phase tends to be the second half of the cycle, is the second half of the cycle. And that typically is around 14 days in length. So we say that is after you ovulate. So if you have a 28-day cycle, for example, you might ovulate mid-cycle there around day 14. Again, varies a little bit for every, for every different woman. And we tell them to look out for signs like, you know, you might get some cramping on either the left or the right or a change in the cervical mucus. So it kind of becomes described as like an egg white consistency or a stretchy. Um, 
And some people don't get any of those signs, which is okay as well. And um, other people track their, um, their temperature, like you said. So they see a spike in their temperature around that time. And at that point, we say, you know, um, you've probably ovulated. But the, it's, the fertile window is actually the lead up to that. So it's having sex the five days before you ovulate and the day that you ovulate. And why that is, is because, you know, the egg is released and lasts for around kind of 12 to 24 hours, but it takes the sperm two days to get to where it should get. So it's the lead up that's actually the important part. So those five days before, so the sperm can survive that long kind of um, in the womb, cervix tubes, um, but the egg doesn't survive as long as the sperm will. Okay, so assuming all goes well, sperm meets egg, and then what happens? Um, so fertilization takes place in that lab. It takes around 24 hours and it's in the tube until around day three and then moves down towards the womb at around day five onwards and then implantation starts. So that's where the blastocyst or the embryo will implant into the, into the lining of the womb. So it's a few days before it's in the womb and then you probably see a change in the hormone that might show up on a very early pregnancy test from around kind of day 10 to 16 or two weeks after that. Okay. And even in uh, women where there are, or men where there's no problem, no fertility issue, it's still really almost like the stars have to align for that sperm to meet that egg and fertilize at the right time. Isn't that right? Because I think a lot of people, I suppose, would think that when if it's not happened, that immediately a problem, but there, people can maybe not conceive for six months and doesn't mean there's actually a problem. It's just a bit of luck and timing. Exactly. They, you know, the worst stories are the ones where they just stop contraception and they get pregnant the next cycle because, you know, that is, as you say, the unusual ones, you know. So we would say kind of in women under the age of 35 um, who have no underlying conditions, as we were saying, you know, they're not aware of such as endometriosis or they've never had an ectopic pregnancy before or they haven't had a ruptured appendix surgery or anything like that. They can try for up to a year. And we say, in the general population, around 80% of couples will conceive within a year. And then in two years, up to 90% of couples will conceive. Wow. And that's with no intervention at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no, and no risk factors, I guess, for fertility issues. Yeah. And we'll get on to talking about, um, you know, when when the time comes to consult medical advice. Um, but just while we're still in the, the, the kind of very basic birds and bees stuff, um, you mentioned there that the, the egg gets fertilized in the the fallopian tube and and if that doesn't move down to the uterus then that's called an ectopic pregnancy an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that's implanted anywhere outside where it should so the most common place for it is the tube but sometimes we see it um in more unusual places such as the ovary or even in the cervix or someone who's had a previous cesarean section in the scar but certainly the most common place where we see it is in the tube yeah and it's never going to move position once it's implanted there so Unfortunately, that pregnancy is is not viable if it's if it's if it's implanted in the tube, and it's not it's not that uncommon. It's probably around eleven in a thousand, or almost one percent of pregnancies. So, so we do see it frequently enough, and it and it can be a very serious condition. It's it's something you definitely don't hear that much about. Yeah, no, and oftentimes, um, you know, it you get a positive pregnancy test and it feels like early pregnancy and maybe it's picked up on a, on an early scan or maybe you have a bit of pain or spotting in early pregnancy. And all of these things are actual parts of early pregnancy as well. So the diagnosis can be, um, can be drawn out at times, especially if it's low hormone levels and it can be really difficult. And sometimes women obviously end up needing either medical treatment um, 
which they can't get pregnant for a number of months after or surgery, which involves probably most likely removing one of the tubes, do you know? Wow. Okay. And a friend of mine said the other day, she's doing a lot of research into fertility that, um, if you have to get one tube removed, say for example, because of an ectopic pregnancy, you could tell me if this is true or not, but she had read something that said, if, you know, the way the ovaries alternate releasing the egg, that if it's the other side where you don't have a tube, the tube on the on the other side will actually like eventually move around and attach itself like it can so that's amazing yeah it's, it is and that is always you know because obviously removing both your tubes precludes you from getting pregnant you know yourself so it is a big thing when counseling women about removing the tubes that it's not the end of natural pregnancy we certainly see pregnancies again after that and the, you know your fertility isn't reduced just with removing one tube so then, so you you said like about what's about five days between fertilization and the egg actually implanting into the uterus in a, in a healthy pregnancy. And at that point, I mean, you're definitely not feeling anything, but what's happening hormonally and, and what happens between that point and when you get like a pregnancy, positive pregnancy test? Um, so the follicle that has released that egg becomes what's called the corpus luteum so if we were to scan you you might see this um kind of a cyst appearing on one of the, on one side and that um produces a hormone that will support the pregnancy until the pregnancy is big enough that it will support its own, it, it support itself and produce its own uh, pregnancy hormone called hcg so progesterone is rising estrogen is rising um so, so sometimes people can feel symptomatic very early in pregnancy because they're sensitive to those hormones and um, and then the pregnancy is uh, doubling in size all the time, so the cells are uh, are doubling. So it's rapid growth very early, but as you say, we're talking about something really, really tiny and microscopic almost at the start. But there's some signs of it that you can see the thickening of the lining of the womb, that cyst on one side, and then eventually, within kind of the two weeks mark, um, a urine pregnancy test should should show up as positive. And are there other common symptoms that would indicate pregnancy before you've done a test that are com- like that are very common? Like sore boobs, for example, is what I had. No, uh, nausea and vomiting can be quite early symptoms as well. And if we and if they if we say that they're very severe, very early, you can kind of you'd always scan to see if maybe if it's a twin pregnancy or something. Because well, women get very symptomatic. Because obviously, there's double the amount of hormone there. You know. I, I was convinced I was having twins because of how hungry I was and how sick I felt but it was just the one and now I think I could not do it if it was twins oh my god okay so then at that point I'm just kind of going kind of going through the timeline of it and um, when you do a pregnancy test and it's confirmed and, and for most women it's when they've missed a period it, it's a little bit confusing because it shows up that you're four weeks pregnant that's how they time it what why is why does it go back to the first date of your last period um, so I guess we're trying to work out when you've ovulated and that's because the fertilization isn't exactly on a day because you could have ovulated and then when is the sperm reaching the ovulation? So it's just trying to um, to uh, calculate the um, pregnancy most accurately from the previous um, previous ovulation, I guess. And then on the pregnancy test, it's detecting the surge in the LH, is that right? With a HCG, actually. HCG, okay. the ovulation kits, but HCG is the pregnancy hormone. Okay. So if someone is planning on having a baby and wants to, you know, wants to make sure that, that they have, they go in with, with, you know, all systems blazing and they're aware of everything, would it be very common? I, I did myself use ovulation sticks um, to kind of track because it's, it's very hard to know, especially if you, if you say like, okay, when you, you, you can know when you've ovulated and I would know, I think in terms of like discharge, but like you say, it's before that is when you need to start having sex. So how do, how do those ovulation sticks work and do you recommend them? 
So I think the first thing to say is that if you have a reasonably regular cycle and you get the signs and you know your own body, that's probably the best way. That's probably the best way. But again, so you just, why the ovulation kits can be helpful is to kind of identify those signs for you. You know, like you see a positive and you're like, actually, yeah, I did have pain that cycle or I, yeah, I did notice the change in my discharge. Um, I think they can be a little bit stressful. You know, it's not particularly pleasant to be peeing on a stick and then going off and uh, having sex under pressure, do you know? So it's yeah. like suddenly it's kind of taking the romance out of it a little bit. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's time sex is under pressure. A lot of time men find that a bit stressful as well and their performance can be affected. Um, so I certainly think they're useful if you show up a positive and if you can work them. There's different kits show different things, you know, say peak ovulation or a smiley face. So um we in the clinic, if we're using them to time treatments, we start testing from around day nine onwards. I don't know what you did, Caroline. Did you? I just kind of went from, I guess, a couple of days before I thought I was ovulating. And then um, it, it did tee up pretty well. But I, I have friends who would have um, really felt like they were ovulating. But the test is, is showing that it's happening actually much later. So and for them, they wanted to track it to, to, to know what actually what you think is ha- what you kind of feel instinctively might, mightn't always line up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you are trying to, like you say, time it or so that can be frustrating for them as well. But I guess if we use it sometimes just to yeah, like increase awareness of one's own body changes um, and if then it is teeing up, then you can use it more appropriately. They should show up as, you know, ovulation or pre-ovulation LH surge and then you're going to ovulate. That's what it should pick up. So you should okay. have sex around then, I guess. And if you don't want to worry about ovulation or you're not there yet you don't want to kind of start like you say putting that pressure on where you feel like oh well I'm I'm ovulating we have to jump in the sack now and actually that just kill, kills the romance my doctor my GP when I told her I was maybe considering starting trying for baby she just said to have sex three times a week every week well I'll, when you're not on your period and you should be covered like would you think that's a I actually say that as well I think three times in the week leading up to any ovulator so the first half of your cycle so when your period finishes up until, you know, just after mid-cycle, that should, you know, you should get it then, you know, you should hit the window, especially in couples who are having unprotected sex for quite a while. Do you know, like you were saying yeah. earlier about, you know, you're not going to get pregnant every cycle, even no. most normal of normals. So if you're doing that and, you know, and you've no risk factors and it's up to, a, you know, up to a year, you should hit ovulation at at least 50% of those cycles, do you know, you'd like to think. Yeah. And I'd love to as well ask you about this because I want to reassure women. Um, and I, I'm sure it's very common and certainly among my own friends that, you know, the minute you shift your, your mentality from trying not to get pregnant to, to trying to get pregnant, it can very quickly take away the, the romance. And even for some people, the idea of having, have to, having to have sex three times a week. And then you, you feel kind of bad that, like, oh, Jesus, like, um, is there something wrong with my relationship that that seems like a lot? But, but that is a lot of sex to be having. Having, and if you're tired and you've got other kids already or you're both working you know it's I, I think I really want people to feel reassured that it's it's okay to kind of think that way as well although you obviously you yeah you're so right jobs get in the way life gets in the way if there's small kids already at home you know like the, all those things absolutely you know it's um you know we probably find a lot of couples who have sex only that week and then no sex for the rest of the cycle because that's recreational they have no time for that 
Exactly. I mean, I certainly had times where I knew I wasn't ovulating and I was like, oh, there's no point. Like, and it's just that it, you know, it does require energy. And when you think about your other primary needs, I suppose, in terms of hunger or sleepiness, you're like, well, I've taken care of that. So like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is normal and it doesn't have to mean that there is, you know, something wrong. It's just like, of course, it's pressure. You know, when you decide that you want to actively pursue something. And I think, you know, our generation or anybody, we're, we're so used to, especially in this day and age when you want something that you can have it right away and you can achieve it and you might be a bit of an overachiever or a perfectionist and something like this where mother nature takes over and you don't have as much control it can be very hard to reconcile that you have to just sort of roll with it exactly and i and we do often see our men come in you know who say they have absolutely no issue with sex it's just the on-demand nature of uh trying to conceive and the urinary kit testing for the women and it's just it's uh it becomes almost medicalized you know and that is difficult because obviously it's not you know you're you're trying to do something that's meant to be giving you the most happiness i know like full disclosure like i because i was doing the um the, the ovulation test but i kind of sort of kept it slightly I my my husband obviously knew we were like open to it because we wanted to have we, we had that conversation beforehand but i tried to kind of I guess for for him, although I don't know why I was doing this for him, what about me? But I would kind of like, instead of saying, right, I'm ovulating, let's go now, I would try and like not make that be the the starting point of the conversation, but try and initiate it so that, because I think, you know, with men, like you say, performance is is a big issue. And if, if something gets in their head, it might not happen. And um, you know, it's it's easier for women that they, they don't you don't really have to be like on form to be able to conceive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I back to that episode of Friends where Monica and Chandler are trying, you know, and it's like suddenly it's we have to go and have sex now and ovulating. Um, it's hard, you know. Yeah, it is really hard. So, can I ask you about the most fertile window in terms of age for men and women? Yeah. So. This is, I guess, as we, as we age, this becomes something more significant in our lives, even myself, you know, um, so as women were born with the number of eggs that we will have, it's an, it's a finite amount. So it probably peaks just, you know, in utero even, and then starts to decline, um, probably most significantly after the age of 35, which seems really young. And I think it starts to seem younger, um, the closer you get to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, even you could be the most healthy. That's one of the things we can't change in fertility is, is female age. And it's probably the best, I guess, surrogate marker for the egg quality as well, because these eggs are aging with us as we age. Whereas with men, they produce an entirely new sample of sperm every three months. So of course they'll get to a point where um, fertility is an issue, but it is, you know, those lifestyle factors are much more of a, um, of an impact on male factor things because they can change certain lifestyle factors where it's either it's smoking or using a laptop or using cannabis or steroids in the gym, those kind of factors, if they can adjust those, the new sample of sperm that they will produce might have improved drastically. Whereas with us, um, it's, you know, it's the eggs that we've had since we were born. So they are inevitably going to age with us. And we do see um, that decline after the age of 35. And would that would would be women beyond the age of thirty five who you would most see in the clinic? Yeah, and I think probably, um, yeah, no, that it is most certainly. Obviously, if you've risk factors, you see women at different ages, but uh, women, you know, like internationally and across the board, are delaying pregnancy for social reasons, for career, for yeah. um, relationship reasons. So certainly, we are seeing women coming older, coming to us older and older. 
And what would be the risk factors that would you would see someone younger, say maybe thirty years old? What what would would that be like the likes of PCOS or endometriosis? Or yeah, so uh, oftentimes, say for example, you mentioned uh, PCOS there. So that is uh, probably the most common hormonal condition in in women, and it pres- tends to present with either kind of irregular periods or no periods at all, or women who have maybe acne, they're investigated for acne or for dark hair growth. So that, so often women would have an idea of that diagnosis before they even get to the stage where they're trying for pregnancy. And one of the other symptoms of it is, it is not ovulating or having difficulties conceiving. So women who know that tend to come to us in the referral might say, diagnosed with PCOS age 19 or 20 and have been on the pill for that, you know, so those women tend to have an idea that they might down the line have have issues conceiving or need a little bit of help. And is that a case of needing a little bit of help or, you know, I think a lot of women, certainly my peer group, you know, having been diagnosed with PCOS, they would think, oh shit, like I'm, this is the sentencing here. But is it, I mean, I remember speaking to someone else before for another project who said actually PCOS, you know, it's very possible to get pregnant with PCOS. Yeah. So the thing with PCOS is that you tend to have lots and lots of eggs. It's just that you're not releasing them. So you're not ovulating. Uh, so we can overcome that. That's probably the most straightforward thing to overcome in terms of bringing about ovulation. It's not an invasive treatment. We start with an oral medication and we just monitor them with ultrasounds to make sure that they're firstly releasing at least one follicle and not releasing uh, or at least one follicle is growing and not too many are growing because obviously one of the risks of these medications is, is the risk of multiple pregnancy when when we bring about ovulation. So yeah, it is something that we can overcome. Um, probably start with the oral medications that obviously makes it a lot less invasive. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we need to use it in injections. But yeah, it is. It's one of those better ones, if for want of a better word. And to go back to a scenario where de- um, declining egg supply and age is the issue, what, what would be the treatment there? So um, I guess... The treatment would probably be having a discussion about prioritizing fertility, you know. Yeah. So if it's just an investigation that you're having done to find out, then it's what you're what what would you do with that information? Do you know the kind of same with everything? So are you in a relationship and planning on going traveling and you just wanted to find out that it was a reasonable thing to put on hold? Or are you thinking of taking a new job and you won't get maternity leave you know those kind of if that's the case and you're just investigating to get an idea of your egg numbers or ovarian reserve then you kind of have to be prepared to kind of know what you'll do with that result do you know yeah. or whether you're on your own and you're 37 or 38 and you're um you haven't met mr right or you're thinking about doing it on your own would you consider egg freezing if those numbers were found to be lower so i guess it's even if we found that egg numbers had declined or you had a lower ovarian reserve, our first port of call would be to try and conceive naturally because those tests are never a predictor of pregnancy as such. They just give us an idea in a fertility clinic of timeline, um, whether you should delay treatment, whether we should kind of expedite treatment. And then in kind of more detail, they give us an idea of dosing in terms of treatments. But it's not a predictor of pregnancy is the first thing to say. It's okay. just more of a timeline. And are you finding that more and more people are um they're they're wanting to get professional advice before they even come up against an issue just to know where they stand with their chance of conceiving? 
because of these things, like you say, like wanting to wait for X, Y, and Z or wanting to, you know, travel or, or maybe they haven't met someone yet. Do you, do you find that people are taking that initiative and do you advise, do you think that's good that people do that? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, I do. I do and I don't. I mean, like, I, I you know, sometimes you see clinics being offered offering ovarian reserve testing for free to to young girls and like I say it's in isolation it's not it's not the most valuable of tests and it can cause a lot of stress and strain you know um on women who aren't trying to conceive yet so I think if you have something going on that you knew that you've always had a problem with your periods or they're irregular and you're now starting to try to conceive then I think an early kind of fertility review is reasonable even if it's just to say actually things look really good yeah. I think it's reasonable for you guys to continue trying to conceive for six to 12 months um, and come back to us then. Um, or if you're a little bit older and um, you consider egg freezing or um, consider donor sperm IVF on your own then, uh, or donor sperm treatment on your own, then, then it's also valuable. And we certainly see people kind of being a bit more proactive about it now and certainly couples where the female partner is a little bit older, people are being more proactive than waiting maybe the the kind of one to two years of trying yeah because for me you know I was a very lucky I we got pregnant on I think it was our second month of trying and I know that's not an indicator of of how like that's not necessarily I don't know if is it common like that would happen and maybe I'm wrong I mean it's great I mean I guess yeah like the younger you are, the more likely it is to happen do you know yeah. that kind of way it, it's just the way it is so but I was, again, I was 31 yeah yeah but I I feel like for myself that like even though you know you say it can be six to 12 months and there doesn't need to be anything wrong and that could be perfectly normal to not get pregnant for 12 months I still think that after about five to six months I would feel like I want to just go in and know where what I'm dealing with and where I stand because it's very hard you you can't not start to think what if something's wrong and then if if you know even if there isn't something wrong with that stress starts to affect you and play in your mind so I, I suppose you know we don't we like the option is there for people to go and, and I guess have a have a checkup really isn't it, it with a clinic like yourselves and I'd be kind of the same as you and even if it is just reassurance yeah. um that it's that we found nothing and you can continue to try and everything looks really healthy I think that'd be really valuable because then it takes some of the stress out of your mind whereas if something shows up then you you know that you're trying and you know what, what that you want a family so then you the options are there for you then um 
it, Absolutely. it has shown up. So I think, yeah, I, I'd be proactive as well. If a couple comes to you, let's just say it's a, um, there's two people involved and they like, they're not sure if there being any issue, they're not aware of any underlying conditions. The woman has not been diagnosed with PCOS or anything, but it's just, they're thinking, oh, it shouldn't, we feel like it should have happened by now. What's the, like, what's the kind of traditional, where do you start with that person or what can they expect in terms of like, do you start with like a consultation and then do you do scans or, and is it divided between both male and female? And just, just to give people an idea. Yeah. So um, it's really important to, I guess, like I said, meet the couple first. Some people have investigations beforehand and it's just what they would rather. Some people don't want any investigations and just want the consultation part, which is absolutely fine as well. Um, I think it's helpful to have the investigations done because then you kind of have a more informed discussion. And obviously what you're talking about, you know, history is really important. Have they had any, you know, surgeries in the past? Has the male had any injuries to the testes or undescended testes as a child or surgery for hernias on the groin have either of the couple had STIs you know all of those things which might kind of indicate that certain investigations that should be done and then in terms of our basic investigations for the female we tend to do um based on her cycle um an ultrasound of the first half of the cycle so anywhere between day two and day eight. And that gives us an idea of the smaller follicles that are there at the start of a cycle before one of the follicles becomes the dominant follicle and then releases the egg. And other things it looks for is maybe ovarian cysts that you didn't know about or did know about, looking for signs of endometriosis, which is a condition that can impact on fertility, looking for fibroids or or the structure of the womb and does that look normal? But that's all kind of less common. And then the male partner should also do a semen analysis and that involves either coming to to a clinic or at home producing a sample and that being assessed for different semen parameters such as is the sperm moving well? Are the, is there a number of, are the number of sperm normal? And um, does the sperm look normal under microscope? So it's really important to have both factors, you know, because probably you know, we, I used to read about like a third, a third, a third. So third male factor, a third female factor and a third kind of combined factor. It's probably not quite that, but roughly, do you know? Um, but that's good to know because I think um, women feel that it's very much, uh, even the narrative around fertility is is around women and women feeling like it's their fault or it's, it's a problem with them. But to know that it's, even if it's close to a third, a third, a third, uh, is 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 helpful to know because I think we tend to focus so much on like well what's wrong with me whereas you know it's important like it, it's I, I feel like if you're going to go down the route of having yourself checked out and there's two of you in it, it to, to go with just having the woman be scanned and everything you could be driving yourself mad and there's nothing wrong but but there's actually it's actually the sperm or something so it's like it's so important for both people to present to you yeah yeah and, and like I said with the, with the male factors out of things sometimes it can be just lifestyle changes that can change um a semen analysis around you know entirely so it is cer- oh, certainly you'd need both partners to be investigated and I know that can be sometimes difficult to convince um yeah. people to be investigated but it's 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 vital if you want the whole picture yeah yeah absolutely and okay so I guess I mean it's it's not like you go in on day one and you're signed up for IVF on day two is IVF typically like the last resort um, well, it depends again. So like we spoke about, you're trying to, I guess, get an assessment in terms of can we identify anything at all? Because, you know, you probably will have a cohort of people that will fall into this really frustrating bracket of unexplained. And whereas it doesn't mean that nothing's wrong. It just means that we can't identify it. Um, so, you know, if we can find something that's identifiable, like the P 
PCOS and then not ovulating, then the treatment pathway changes because that is, you know, that is a something we can do um, to bring about ovulation. And then you're back down to the normal population chances of getting pregnant. Um, And the next kind of, in terms of invasive treatments and cost, uh, next treatment that we talk about would be something called IUI, which is um, intrauterine insemination. So that's essentially where um, we wash a sample of the uh, male partner's sperm and then uh, take control of a woman's ovulatory cycle and inject, uh, and inject the sperm into the woman um, around the time that they're ovulating. So we trigger them to ovulate and then 36 hours later uh, do the IUI process. But again, there's prerequisites to that. So that's really just a very enhanced version of sex. So if you're having sex at home and it's, and it's you know, there's no, nothing wrong there, then we're just kind of optimizing the environment for that in IVF. So we do need to make sure that the female uh, partner's um, tubes are open for something like that, because obviously we're not, we're not taking anything outside the body and putting it in in terms of the woman. So it's still, the egg still has to come down the tube and the sperm has to travel to the right place. So the sperm has to be moving well. The tubes have to be open, and you have to be ovulating for that treatment to be to be even considered. You know, and then you move towards your more invasive treatments, uh, such as IVF, as you said. And can you just give me a little explainer on exactly what IVF is and how it happens? Yeah. So, um, so um, as I was saying there, when we scan a woman at the start of a cycle we might see a number of small follicles on the scan and we can't see eggs. Eggs are microscopic, but what we can see are these small little follicles or cysts. And um, sometimes when I use numbers, they're a little bit arbitrary, but say there's, little, say there's six follicles on either side, which would be a healthy number. Mm-hmm. Um, in one cycle, you will release one egg naturally, but they were all the potential eggs that you could have released. So what we try and do with IVF is override your natural hormone and and make those follicles well make as many of them as we can contain a mature egg during that cycle so where one will only become big and contain a mature egg in a natural cycle we give you extra hormone to try and get as many of those follicles as we can contain a mature egg so while it might take you 10 months to release 10 eggs in a cycle of IVF you could collect 10 eggs and it's not that we're going through your eggs any quicker we're just collecting the ones that might have died off that cycle does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hard to, to wrap my head around, but you you explained it very well. Um, would IVF be more common after a certain age? Um, so it probably is. Probably IUI is more successful in younger in younger couples, and they also have more time, depending on an ovarian reserve, to uh, try the less invasive treatments that maybe have slightly lower success rates. IVF, because it's collecting up a certain number of eggs and mixing them with the sperm and making embryos, um, it has higher success rates. You know, it's more invasive, it's probably more expensive, but it ha- the success rates are higher for sure. Can you give me an idea of, of cost? I suppose before someone goes down the route of, of whether it's going to be simple lifestyle changes or whether there's um, scans or whether it's IUI or, or IVF, it, it, I I know a, a woman who had a documentary made called Million Dollar Baby and she, she told me she spent 50 grand um, on IVF having to get into the point of being pregnant with, with her baby girl. Um, so is it is it like a set price per round or, or just, just so people can expect just to be really transparent about it? Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Um, so probably, you know, like obviously you tend, you, by the time, you know, 
uh, paying for consultation and, and um, investigations, obviously they add up as well. But I think yeah. a cycle of IUI probably comes to nearly a thousand euro, nearly, you know, it would be under that, I imagine, but um, all in with, with to get to that point. And then a cycle of IVF is probably closer to 5,000 euro. Okay. Um, and how many cycles would you do of both? So we in, in we 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 aim to to get a pregnancy with the cycle, obviously, and an, an an ideal cycle where you get a pregnancy and maybe an embryo frozen for future use. And um, so, if someone can get away with having all their pregnancies with one cycle, that would be ideal, you know. Yeah. Um, certainly, we'd expect you to need more than one cycle of IUI to um maybe achieve your pregnancy you know um because IUI again is just like you're releasing one egg mixing the sperm with that so it's more like your natural con- conception whereas with IVF you're trying to create excess or multiple embryos um from one cycle and is there a number of IUI cycles that you would do before you would move on to IVF it's always up to the, you know it's up to the patient if they kind of decide they want the more effective treatments first or they're willing to to jump a step then they can jump straight to IVF um, but we'd say up to three three to six cycles of IUI is 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 reasonable um, but again people can find that long and frustrating you know so yeah. um, you know having a bleed after a cycle is really disappointing and not being pregnant so it's up to yourself some people are willing to try a few cycles and they decide to change halfway through and you're never tied into anything do you know yeah um, certainly um Certainly, I often end up advising IVF because how much more uh, effective it is and the higher success rates. And with the cycle of IUI, you can actually end up taking very similar injections to what you end up taking for IVF, but just a much lower dose. Okay. So for the woman, it's not it's not hugely different. Do you know? It's, yeah. it's, um, it's it can be equally as as long and difficult. And is there um is there like a maximum number of cycles of IVF that you would advise someone do before you'd say look we we can't put your body through this anymore? Oh God, that's probably a really difficult question to ask. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Okay. Um, but I I don't I don't think it'd be fair to let someone kind of indefinitely con- continue IVF. But we try and titrate things to every cycle. If if you do need a second cycle to change something, to change a medication, to change uh, a dose, you know, try optimize um the quality of the embryos that we're making do you know and we get we learn more every cycle is the other thing to say yeah you get more data each time and do you have any idea of the just the statistics around the IVF success rates yeah so our own success rates are really good at the moment so uh we on our website we have ones from 2017 and I was looking at them the other day and probably per you know it's probably a, a live birth rate which is the you know the ultimate because obviously you'll get pregnancy tests that are positive and then they'll end up in biochemical pregnancies or miscarriages but the live birth rate so take home baby rate I guess you it's probably around 35 yeah. percent per cycle for women who are 35 wow. um and it does drop down then after the age of kind of say 42 which would be it would be more so like a 10 percent per cycle do you know so okay. it does drop down quite significantly but this is you know this is assuming there's you have to even go and, and get this help and, and go and have these either non-invasive or, or slightly more invasive treatments. But there's an awful lot we can do before we get to that point or even alongside that. I mean, you know, you, like you say, you could be doing IVF and, and alongside that, you could be doing lifestyle changes that will really be the thing that makes a difference. So what can we do naturally to increase the chance of being pregnant? And is it and for, from both the female and the male perspective? 
So women who are trying to get pregnant should be on folic acid for kind of three months pre-pregnancy. And that's just to um, reduce the incidence of neural tube defects like spina bifida. So that should be something, that's something you can do that's, uh, that will just help your chances of having a, a, a very normal pregnancy. Um, not smoking is really important. Uh, reducing alcohol intake probably are, we would advise one to two uh, units of alcohol one to two times a week for women which doesn't seem like a lot, I know, but it's all about optimizing, you know, yeah. your natural chances. Um, your BMI being in the healthy range is a really important one. Okay, so being like, you don't want to be going on uh, too much of like a, a weight loss mission while you're trying to conceive. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And sometimes women's periods um, stop once they become too light or too, um, or the BMI is too low. And the same way if the BMI is too high, you know, sometimes the periods um, uh, disappear as well. So we kind of aim for between BMI between 19 and 30. And I know that's a little bit arbitrary as well, but that's what international guidelines would suggest. Okay. And um, being aware of your, of your own period and trying to optimize when you're having sex. And um, so the fertile windows, so the, the lead up to when you ovulate. And then for men, um, again, you know, not smoking not smoking cannabis and not taking any kind of steroid supplements that you might see men who gym a lot taking um lots and lots of cycling can increase the heat to the scrotum so that can sometimes impact on sperm quality in a negative way in a negative way yeah okay um i mean it's obviously really good to exercise it's just the type of exercise that you might do Uh, a laptop on your lap or being sedentary so like if your job is driving all the time you know just being aware of that yeah and and then the supplements that you can take you know over the counter that you'd see in a pharmacy they can help improve sperm quality and it's similar to the way we take them you know your folic acid and your vitamin d there's some similar ones that men can take as well which probably isn't highlighted as much do you know yeah um, and and how important is like balanced nutrition? Um, you know, it's not just obviously the BMI is super important, but you you could have achieve a certain BMI with not very nutritionally dense food. So, uh, like in in my head, I suppose I just feel like when you want to conceive, your body needs to be in like sort of homeostasis balance and not feel under threat in any way. So not like trying to, oh, we have to send in the troops and fight off this. Um, other thing that we're trying to deal with such as oh we've we've just lost too much weight too quickly or that that kind of thing um and especially from you know even like a for, for me like my other podcast is all around anxiety and stuff and I remember talking to my doctor when my anxiety was so bad and I said oh god how will I ever cope being pregnant and she just said well actually by the time you get pregnant in order to get pregnant you'll probably be quite in a quite a balanced state hormonally for it to even happen in the first place yeah, and I think balance is the key word there. You know, I think um, couples who are maybe having difficulty trying to conceive can become really transfixed and on um, doing everything right, cut out everything. You know, and that's not that's not the best way to live either. You know, like people who entirely cut out, say, caffeine, where they've loved a cup of coffee in the mornings or chocolate, or you know, like it's all about balance and just being healthy enjoying you know having a really good mental health a really good relationship you know so it's it's um you know I won't uh, lecture on uh, nutrition as such because I'm not you know an expert yeah. in that area at all but it's just about having balance and kind of in moderation and 
like you said, getting all your proper nutrients, you know, because you will get a lot of what we, um, you know, what you'll see in supplements uh, in in normal foods. And I, I think nutritionists would always say that if you can get it in a food that's, you know, natural rather than having to supplement it, that would be ideal. Do you know? And most of them, you know, like a supplement will never replace what you can get in a vegetable or, exactly. you know, in fruits, you know, so that's... Yeah. And I want to ask you about stress. So I think obviously like we're, we're increasingly aware of the impact that stress can have on, on health in so many different ways. But when a couple are trying or a woman is, is trying to conceive and it's not happening, it's so hard not to get stressed. And then you're stressed out about the fact that you're stressed because you know stress is going to impact getting pregnant. How do you advise people manage that? Because it, of course it's stressful. Yeah. And I think that is important to acknowledge. First of all, this is stressful. You know, there's uh, no two ways about it. Do you know, like we're, you know, the medication part of the stressful, the having sex time, sex is stressful. So financial stress, even financial stress, 100%. And, and suddenly everyone around you is pregnant is the other thing to say, you know, and your friends are all getting pregnant without even trying, you know, so that's certainly uh, enhances the, the stress but you know I remember my consultant saying to me before that I think it's more infertility causes stress rather than stress causes and causes infertility so you can you can be aware of it it's it's not you know like you said it's not something that is going to hopefully impact on your treatment but it's certainly a probably something that goes in hand in hand with your treatment and we can't get rid of it entirely and um, there's certainly some you know therapies that can help with it I know a lot of women find acupuncture and things like that helpful or mindfulness or something that can kind of try and combat that for you but yeah. it is inherently stressful time for couples do you know so it is yeah. really hard to eliminate that entirely well f- for me I mean when it comes to stress or anxiety in in any way that you'd have it in any guise in life it's not about getting rid of it but saying okay well I understand why this is it makes sense and I need to like accept this and I think even just that change of perspective on it like of course you're stressed out if you're trying to get pregnant it's not happening and you're trying to save money and you know uh, so it's not about trying to feel totally relaxed about it but saying it's okay that I feel that way and even that mindset shift alone will have an impact on the hormones in your body like the stress hormones in your body absolutely I think that's a really really good way of putting it and it's 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 not something that's going to happen overnight that's obviously something that you've learned or you've kind of thought about for a while but it, yeah and it's you're so right it's not trying to hide it under the carpet and pretending that it's not stressful because it is and it's embracing that and just dealing you know learning to deal with that or kind of make it a little bit less of a, a factor in your day-to-day life yeah yeah and um is there anything else that people need to be aware of that maybe is not so um widely known or discussed when it comes to trying for a baby like any really simple things that you might forget I hate to say I think female age is is the big one you know I think we are an aging society and we're putting it off you know family is is you know happening later we're all kind of striving to be the best that we can be in terms of jobs financial security wanting a house and we want all these things before we start trying um and I think you know there's never a good time or the perfect time to get pregnant is the other thing that I've often been told and if you're thinking about it think about it sooner rather than later is kind of yeah well that was I mean when when myself and my husband started having the conversation it was like we're having a great time you know we're going traveling we've we've got our house like we could happily do this for another five years we don't we don't necessarily feel the need or want to have a child right now but we know that we want to have one at some point or we we reckon we will want to so for us it was just like well 
rather than wait until we might have an issue, let's risk it happening sooner than we plan, we really ready for. And then that's what happened. Um, and, of, and of course, I mean, that still had an adjustment because we were like, okay, well, now all the plans are off the table. Um, you know, so it, it is a case, you're never ready and you're never ready for pregnancy. And I'm, I'm not ready for labor or anything now that even that I'm here, even though I'm here and even though it's what I wanted, you know. Um, and I'd love to just ask you, but before we wrap up, um, so something that, you know, is becoming more and more common is, is women who, like you say, are getting a bit older, maybe haven't met someone, um, or maybe don't want to, or maybe they're in a, um, female, female relationship and they, they, they want to know what their options are for, for having a baby. As it becomes more common, we have so much more, more expertise in the area. So a few years ago, uh, some tech companies offered to, you know, egg freezing for their female um, um, workers. And that's probably what started highlighted. Was it wrong? Was it right? But actually that kind of opened the conversation for lots of people. And I've certainly lots of friends who are now considering it but for different reasons. They don't want a pregnancy at the moment or they're not, in the right, you know, they don't have a relationship or whatever. Um, it's a really, it's a really good option. And we would, you know, unfortunately for a cycle of egg freezing, you do have to do a cycle of IVF to get to that point. Okay. Um, but it's a really good backup plan. It's a really good insurance policy, you know, that you might use down the line. If you did suddenly meet Mr. Wright or you decided that you were going to use donor sperm or whatever it is, you don't, like, if you, if you met, say, if you met someone, you wouldn't say use your frozen egg straight away. We'd obviously advise, try to conceive yourself. But if you don't, then you know that you have those eggs frozen in time whenever you're frozen, say, 34-year-old eggs or 33-year-old eggs frozen in time and they don't age. So, um, that's why I think it's valuable. It takes pressure off people then if they're in a new relationship, not to have to have the conversation about pregnancy straight away. Yeah. So that's a really great option for, for women who either want to do it on their own or um, want to kind of save their eggs for the future. For women um, in a relationship with women, then uh, there's the option, as you said, of donor sperm. And it kind of changed, it changed in legislation in Ireland since May this year. So uh, there's a few changes in legislation. You have to have, you have to, to undergo treatment in Ireland. It's um, uh, identifiable sperm donors. So we don't use an, um, anonymous sperm donors anymore here. So essentially, uh, you go online to your, you register for your sperm donor site. And we use kind of in Ireland, we use the kind of the European sperm bank or another one called Cryos. And you, and there's a little like you filter it out so that you can pick the ones that the, the donors that have signed that they're happy to, to use in Ireland. And that's kind of just to protect the intended parents. So, um, you know, they, they signed consent for parentage and then the donor signs up um, his right for parentage. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's just that it's changed. Legislation has changed recently, you know, and couples do need to be aware of that. And if people want to um, maybe come in for consultation, maybe they're not aware of anything yet, maybe there is a problem or maybe there isn't, your doors are always open for that initial consultation chat. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think it's really easy now because of the Zoom, you know, you could be at home or, you, you know, uh, working from home is, or, you know, just in your, uh, you know, just online and it's very easy now, you know, and you can get your few investigations done and it can be just a reassuring consultation just to check that everything is in order and that you're good to go. Um, or if, like you said, if it's six months into it and that you need to buy you time or um, kind of optimize your, um, what you're doing at home yourselves, you know. Amazing. And you guys have lots of information for like, if people want to drill down on your website. Exactly. Loads online. Yeah. And, um, 
and it's all very accessible there. And you know, you, you can just refer yourselves as well, which is also helpful. You don't have to have a GP to refer in. There's this online self-referral. Okay, which great. Some women find more accessible as well rather than going to the GP and looking for a referral that way. Amazing. Okay. Maeve Horn, Dr. Maeve Horn, I should say, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I've completely just annihilated you with question after question there. And thank you for answering everything so well. I hope we've covered everything. You being the experts, reckon we have touched on a lot of the important stuff at least. Yeah, it's been really enjoyable. You probably need to have a, a lie down now after all after all of that um but thank you so much and i'm really and good luck with your own pregnancy i'm excited for you thank you i'm really hopeful now that this episode will will give women and men a bit of encouragement and confidence and make them feel more empowered as they they hopefully begin their journey ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 